0: As I said, talking about this idea of leaving a legacy behind. And the reality is, we all make an impact in this world. Every single one of us. We all leave something of a trail. And it's why, by the way, any life that leaves this side of eternity, it it is felt. Its absence is felt. And the only difference is whether or not we will appreciate or we will enjoy, we will... uh, be satisfied with the legacy we leave behind. Because every one of our choices affect one another. We, though we may be tempted to think we may go unnoticed or our lives are not really making much of a difference, the reality is all of us impact each other. We each rub shoulders with one another. And it doesn't really matter what belief system we carry. We do Effect. One another. We see it. We notice it everywhere. We joked a little bit about it last week, but we see it. We see it when we're at the grocery store at the end of a long day of work, and we just want to get home because we're hungry. We, we might actually be hangry, <laughs> and somebody steps in front of us and cuts us in line. We see that abnormal sense of rudeness and lack of kindness. We notice it. But we also notice it when we're in line and we only have a couple items in our hands and there's somebody in front of us with a shopping cart full of stuff and they move aside and they allow us to go in front of us. We, we notice that. It, it hits us. And if we notice such small things like that, well, we absolutely notice in the larger areas of life where we think this is, this is the gravity of life. These things matter. They carry weight. And Jesus loved to talk about legacy. He loved to talk about the reality that all of us make an impact. And what he did, which is what I think attracted so many people to him, is he would always elevate the value of an individual person. No matter where they came from or where they found themselves in the socioeconomic ladder, they they were always valued by Jesus. Which is why he attracted, in my opinion, people of high education, people of no education, people on the margins of life and people in the very center in the seat of power. He appealed to them because he had a way about him that elevated the value of one life. One of the places he did this most famously was in in his sermon that he delivered on the side of a mountain that came to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we took a look at it a little bit a week ago, but there was this illustration he used, and we find it in Matthew 5 that kind of speaks to this idea. Every single one of our lives is meant to make an impact. And he said it in Matthew 5, and we'll read it here together. Verse 14, he says to them, those, by the way, who are open to God and drawing near to him, and we're told in verse 14, you are the light of the world, he says like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. He says, you, you who are open to God, you who are wanting to be my students and my followers, you, you're the light of the world. That that is your value. You're the light of the world. But you know what else he says? He says, now, think about light. You're like a, like a city on a hilltop. It cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, he says, and then puts it under a basket. You know what he's saying? No one lights a lamp and then is surprised that it's illuminating things. No, no one turns, and we would say it, no one turns on, turns on a light bulb and then seeks to hide it. Oh, no, no. It wasn't supposed to do that. Right? That's kind of what he, he's actually having a little bit of fun here. Because you know what he's saying? Don't be surprised when you're noticed. It's difficult, if we could put it in our vernacular, to follow me covertly. You will be noticed. This is what he's saying. You're like a light, and it's supposed to shine. So then he says, so in the same way that a light shines, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Let let everyone see your way of life. Because as you lean into me, and as you become open to my teachings in your life, your way of life will be noticed. So let everyone see. Now, in another place, he says, you know what? Do everything, do do things, good things in secret. Which might seem like to contradict what he's saying here. Let, Let everyone see your good deeds, because here's what he's not saying. Go ahead and announce it before you do it. Attention, good deed about to happen. <laughs> He's not saying that. He's not saying that. What is he saying that? You can't, look, if, as you lean into this, as you lean into my teachings in your life, and as you allow God to work in your life, things will come out of you that you cannot help. You cannot hide it. It will be noticed. And the way you behave, we live. You, you will end up becoming an arrow, pointing in God's direction. People will notice it, and they will what? Praise your heavenly Father. They they won't know how to put words to it. But they will know. This is uh, supernatural. Uh, this is kindness. That is heavenly in nature. That's, he says, that's the impact we are supposed to make. That's the value. See, you feel how he elevates every single person listening to him. Anyone open to him. Now these words, these words ended up, being words that greatly affected those who in the first century of Roman Empire. And these people who listened to Jesus and leaned into him ended up becoming a part of a movement that erupted. And one of the champions of this movement was a man named the Apostle Paul. He was, he was a, a one who proclaimed Jesus and his message and his goodness in this life. And it's, argu- it, it's hard to argue the fact that he impacted more people with one life than anyone else in his generation. He traveled more extensively. He endured more extensively, all in the name of seeking to lean into this idea of what it might be be like to be a light of the world. And there's this incident in which he sits down with this group of elders that he had spent about three years with in this uh, group of churches from the city called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And he knew he wasn't going to see them again. And he ended up... asking them to draw near so that he could remind them of the life he lived among their midst. What was he doing? He was speaking to them of the legacy he sought to leave behind. And that's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to hear. Now, I just, as we consider legacy for a minute, I just wonder if we had the opportunity to gather those we loved most, We knew we would not see them again. And we had the opportunity to remind them of the way we have sought to live our life. And we wanted to impress on them the most important things in our lives that we would want to leave behind as a legacy. What would we say? What would we highlight? Because that's the very opportunity the Apostle Paul took advantage of. And that's the account we're going to read. And we find it in the book of Acts. we find it in Acts 20. And we'll just go ahead and walk through this. He had summoned the elders or the leaders of these different churches together. And we're told in verse 18 that when they, the elders, arrived, he declared, he being Paul, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia, or we say Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews or the Jewish leadership who resisted my message. So from the very beginning, what do we see? We see that Paul reminds them, when I came to you, I came to you not with just amazing strength. I actually came in weakness. I came vulnerably. I came crying. And I endured a lot of pain You remember, this is what he's saying, you remember how I was even persecuted for what I was saying? How I was punished in a way? Uh, Remember that, right? You you know, any of us who would ever feel any kind of resistance, you know what kind of human nature inside of us would do? It would shy away. It would step back and say, ah, maybe this isn't the best idea which you get the sense that's exactly what Paul was wrestling with as well because what does he say look at these words he chooses to use in verse 20 i never shrank back i never shrank back you know what that tells us i wanted to i i had a hard time it wasn't easy But I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear either publicly or in your homes. I had one message for both Jewish people and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting that is turning away from sin or a life devoid of God and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. I have had one message and it's been consistent. I haven't changed my tone. I haven't changed what I have said. I have told it to you in the privacy of your home where I could whisper it and no one else would hear. And I have proclaimed it in public where everyone could hear. I have said the very same thing. You know it. You remember it. This is what he's saying to them. And then he says, and now I am bound by the, by, the same, by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. I don't know what's ahead, but I know this. I know some people are warning me, don't go there. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be pain. Don't, don't do it, Paul. But Paul says, but there's a conviction inside of me that I must do it. And then he continues, and look at this statement. This is a statement that elevates what it looks like to be a light in the world to the highest of watermarks. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What is that work? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I've come to this conclusion, he says. I know, danger awaits me, but I've come to this conclusion that no matter what else I accomplish, no matter what other accolades I receive, no matter what other points of success I may have, if my life does not point others towards the grace of God, it's lost something of its purpose. It lost something of its worth. That's my conclusion. This is what he's telling them, which is, An extraordinary model that he leaves us. And he's leaving them. And then he says, he continues, he says in verse 31, Watch out, remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day. And there it is again, my many tears for you. If if this is the only picture we have of Paul, we would understand Paul to be a very sentimental man. A soft man, a tender man who cried, it seems, at the drop of the hat. But the reality is that a fuller picture of Paul presents us with a man that is radically different than that. See, Paul was a man who uh, had rough edges. He was a man of passion and zeal. He would speak boldly. He would lean into things. There there were incidents in his life that are nothing short of remarkable. At one incident, the town turned against him and pelted him with stones and left him for dead. He gets back up and goes right back into the town that just left him there. (laughs) That's amazing. Most of us, it's like, I'm out, okay? Thank you, but I'm going somewhere else now. Paul got back up and moved into it. He had, he had been beaten. He's been incarcerated. He suffered shipwreck in the middle of the open sea. Just, I don't think, it's hard for us to imagine what that must be like. To not see land and to be clobbered by the waves against the rocks in the pitch black night. The ship is destroyed. That, I mean, I've gone surfing and that's terrifying. This is a man's man. This is a prototypical man who is strong in every way, who's tenacious, who doesn't quit, who isn't driven by his emotions. And yet at the same time, what do we see? We see kind of this this complex human being. He says, in other words, we know his reputation. And yet I was unafraid to show you affection. I was not afraid to cry. With you you saw the real me. you know how I cared for you in another letter to the Thessalonians he said to them, "I cared for you like a, like a mother nurses her child. I care for you like a mother nurses her child. Think about that he says. And then he continues and he says, listen, and now I entrust you to God in the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know this. I've never done this. I've never used our relationship like a business transaction. I didn't use it to increase my wealth. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are here with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. Think about that. I mean, look at these. What kind of life must be lived to be able to use these words about themselves? Because he wasn't being arrogant. What does he say, though? I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. And here's the deal. If anyone were to dare to say these things without having lived the life that warrants them saying it, we would say, all right, timey, timey, timey. Hold on, hold on. Who are you talking about? Are you talking about yourself or somebody else? I mean, we would have a hard time allowing that to continue. But Paul was able to say it. Because he had lived it. And then he continued and he says, listen, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And after saying these words, he ends up reminding them that he is not going to see them again and the impact of his life is seen. We could You could read it yourself in, in the account in Acts 20. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture because what happens is these grown men, these elders and leaders of different church communities end up recognizing the man that is standing before them and sharing with them and they, they hug him and they, they cry Cry over him and they pray for him because of the impact he left with them. In three years' time, it's uh, it's an amazing example worth pondering. It looks this is this is what a light in the world looks like. And so, what? How can we unpack this? How can we sit with this for our own lives? Firstly, what is this saying to us? It's saying to us a couple things, that that the way we speak of Jesus matters. That the way we speak of Jesus, now I'm definitely communicating with those of us who are in a place where we have embraced Jesus in our lives, we have gone beyond exploring, and now we are seeking to be his students. The way we speak, and just as an aside, any of of us who would claim such a thing, that in itself, as an aside, the way we speak matters. Our speech is actually supposed to be seasoned with words that encourage and lift up and speak life into others. They they are supposed to be different. But beyond that, what what, what is Paul saying? What did did Jesus say? That the way we live our lives, the the way we speak about Jesus... It matters. It matters. I remember when I was younger, I was a teenager, when I started coming here and started learning how to, what it looked like to be a Christian, a Christ follower. And I remember playing sports with a group of believers and I didn't know what, I don't remember what sport we was playing. I just remember that we were losing and so I wasn't doing good. And I remember getting frustrated and just kind of saying his name, just kind of in frustration. Now, you know, A lot of people, they use his name, and they don't really know what they're saying. And I remember it just kind of came out of me. And somebody around there said, where, where, where? (laughs) And I just kind of, it took me back, and he looked at me, and he caught my attention, and I looked at him, and he says, don't say it unless you mean it. Don't do that. Don't say it unless you mean it. There's something of a reverence that's supposed to develop within us towards him. And Peter was telling the ones he was writing to this. He said, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I just asked them to put this up there. First Peter 3.15, that always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know what Peter is saying? It's what Jesus was saying. Don't be surprised when people notice. It's so Paul modeled, I spoke to you of him day and night, in private and in public. I spoke to you of him. You know what's, what's Peter saying? Listen, expect for people to ask you, why? Why is it that you're this way? You're different. Expect it. The way we speak of Jesus matters. There's there's something about this life that is meant to be noticed and others will ask us. And here's the deal. Here's the beautiful thing. We don't have to be scholars. We don't have to be well-versed. We don't have to be theologically trained. We don't have to be public communicators. You know what is required of us? Authenticity. Authenticity to authentically be able to speak of the one we love and we've been loved by. And in our culture, in our society, authenticity is a powerful currency. That speaks volumes because it is in high demand and it is very rare And so when others notice, and it may not be, here's the deal, it may not be, (laughs) a lot of times people ask us, they, they won't ask us, like, they won't set the ball on the tee and ask us to swing at it. They won't do that. They won't ask us, hey, listen, I've noticed your way of life is so amazing. Um, can you tell me what it is that you do once a week that causes you, you know, they're not going to do that. Like, they're not going to set it up for us so perfectly, right? It's going to come up at inopportune times, like when we're all under pressure and people are blowing up, but we're not. And they're going to ask us, whoa, what's up with that? Or when other spe- people's speech is seasoned with other types of spices and ours isn't. And yet we're normal. What's up with that? How come? That's what's going to happen. Which means we're not really going to get a chance in advance. Like, we're not going to be told, tomorrow I'm going to ask you. So tonight you might want to prepare. Like, that's not going to happen. Which means what? What? we should now think about it. So as a suggestion, I would say to take a couple minutes and write out, what would I say if I had the chance to speak of Jesus? Just write out. You see, if I had the opportunity with those who see me day in and day out, I rub shoulders with day in and day out, and they ask me, what's going on? Something's different how would I respond? Because I cannot tell you. what That positions us to be able to do it. And what does Peter say? Do it without what? Do it without disrespect. Do it respectfully. Do it gently. Which requires us to be what? Secure. Enough not to be, because insecurity is what makes us defensive or condescending. But it's security that allows us to speak of the one we love. I'm comfortable. It's okay. This is my story. This is my experience. See, we do that. We start to lean into what it looks like to be a light of the world. But if that's the case, then it also shows us, what does this remind (laughs) us of? That the way we care for others increases the impact of our words. It's the way we care that increases the impact of our words. It was a week ago that it was at the end of the, we had our forum for our 20s and 30s and we sat in round tables and we had food and we were talking and different people and I just had ideas sharing our stories and so we got to hear different people's stories and I got to share mine and somebody that I had already talked to, I understood to be highly educated. They, they, they were very cerebral in their way of viewing life, which is very admirable, but they asked me after I shared my soul, weren't you ever dubious? Like, weren't you ever suspicious of, uh, of this whole, you know, faith thing? And I kind of sat down, because I, had to, I, had, I was already sitting down, but I had to think about it. It kind of slowed me down, because I, I didn't, I've not that's actually, people don't ask that a lot. And so I just kind of sat there, and I realized, huh, how, you know, let me see, why was I? And I realized, You know what? Here's the, I was in a pl- place in life where I was open to the words of Jesus. I mean, he, Jesus, there are very few things he says that I think, man, that's terrible. Like Most of what, I mean, everything that Jesus says is so life-giving. All throughout history, he's been revered as one of the great teachers for his words. It's amazing what he says. So it, there I had, I, I had a tough time being suspicious. You know where I was suspicious? With people. With people. I suspected, is this real to you? Now, I know I'm partial. This is my community. But I can tell you sincerely that as I started to observe people in this community, I started to notice how people cared for one another. And I started to kind of soften my suspicions. And then as I started to get involved in this community, I started to be one who received authentic love. As I started to reveal my brokenness to others, and as I started to reveal what is wrong with me and what I know, it's only a matter of time before you see it, so I might as well tell you in advance. (laughs) That I started to receive, through people, the words Jesus said. And I'll tell you what, it is a hard thing to resist real love. It's why Paul told the Romans, don't pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't pretend. Don't pretend to love others. Don't do that. Really love them. In an age in which it's so easy, someone who's saying, yeah, it's so easy, all we got to do is hit the like button. It's as easy as that. In an age where it is easy, if I can say it this way, to run an exchange in the commodity of phony love, it is authentic, real care that will show up. And those are the things no one will applaud. No one will have a standing ovation for real love. They're the things that go unnoticed. They're the things that no one really sees day in and day out, but they are there. They are there. Small moments. And what, does he, what else does he say? He says, listen, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection. There it is again. And if we have a hard time being affectionate, maybe it's okay. Maybe we're in a season where it, we are to receive affection. Receive the love of Christ in our lives. He says, and take delight in honoring each other. That is, highlight what is good about the person next to you. Speak well of them. In an age that is so lacking, to do that is to step into a place that very few people actually experience, like truly experience, where the motives aren't I'm looking at this as a networking opportunity. No, the motive is, I have been loved, and therefore I want to love. And it's free. You owe me nothing. That astounds. And if that's the case, you know what it also, it, it reminds us of, it reminds us that, that our lives at the end of the day are meant to illuminate just how good the Lord is. At the end of the day, no matter what accomplishments we have, no matter whatever station in life we've been given, the education level we might have, our past, our present, or where we might think, our hope, our future is going, at the end of the day, our lives, Jesus said it, is meant to illuminate just how good God is. It does that. It's fulfilled its purpose. Hey, you, see, you see that. I, I'm a... I'm an admirer of history. I I like to study different people, different periods of time. A Person has caught my attention. It's this man who is known as Lord Shaftesbury. He was the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury. His name was Anthony Ashley Cooper. He lived in the 1800s and he was a contemporary of William Wilberforce who was known for fighting for 30 years for the emancipation of slavery. And he is commonly revered, he's known. Widely. Lord Shaftesbury is not so known, but when he passed away in 1885 at the age of 84, England was so impacted by his life, they, they called for a national day to, to honor him at Westminster Abbey. And the, the cathedral was filled with different types of dignitaries and people of well-to-do and pedigree and class, and the streets were filled with people that were marginalized, the poor and of low reputation. And you could hear it. One chronicler said, you could hear them mourning our Lord Shasbury. There will never be a man like he. Because by the time he had passed away, he had invested or created into around 1,500 different types of associations. He was actually the pioneer who started the idea of curbing child labor laws. Because they had things, they had this assignment or this job called the chimney climber, and they would send children up into the chimneys to clean them, not recognizing the danger to their own physical being or not caring, or to their own life, their own ability to live. A lot of times they fell. And it was Lord Shaftesbury who said, no, 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 that's not right. Let's not do that. In the middle of the Industrial Revolution, he was the one who said, just because they have small hands doesn't mean they're the ones who should work in these factories and cleaning out the gears. Let's not do that. He was the one who, who went into what they called insane asylums and humanized them, and he ended up investing funds to research why it is that this group of people, this population, is mentally underdeveloped. And he started funding them, and he started creating a caring way to supply them with resources. He ended up moving into the streets and calling women out of a livelihood of low reputation, and he started training them, housing them, and then releasing them to be able to have a legitimate job in their day. He was a man who created schools for the poor, children who were running around in the streets, children Charles Dickens often wrote about, he educated them. He created orphanages. He housed the addicted to alcohol and opium and other types of drugs. And he would, he would rehabilitate them. And he created these homes for them. He did amazing things. Because of his... Position and his prestige and his power and his wealth—he was able to affect so many lives. And at the end of his years, he, people wanted to chronicle his life, and he resisted every single time. He resisted, and he said, "No, no, no." And by, finally, by the end, he realized—he recognized people were going to do it, whether he authorized it or not. So he wanted to authorize it to one person, and he allowed this person to have access to their, his diaries and his private documents, and he wanted them. He said, and "You could read it, it. It's actually out of print." But the life and work of the Lord Shaftesbury in the beginning portion, he tells this author, he says to them, listen, I want you to know something. You need to make this known. The author says, what? And all of this. And all of this happened because of a woman named Mary Mills. Mary Mills. Who is Mary Mills? He says, I grew up in a home where my father was distant and my mother was cold, preoccupied with the societal endeavors and it was mary mills who was my the housekeeper she was my caretaker and when i was a child she was the one who cared for me she showed me affection and she bathed me and cleansed me and fed me and at night she would speak to me about jesus and eventually i ended up asking jesus into my life and so she ended up being the one who taught me how to pray and then she gave me my first bible and taught me how to read the bible and when she was making her way out and I was leaving the home and she knew we weren't going to see each other, she gave me a watch and she said, make, 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 take advantage of every opportunity. And he wore that watch into his dying day. He says, all of this, it happened because Mary Mills introduced me to Jesus. A housekeeper who would never be known a servant who decided to shine her light. And I just wonder, who are we supposed to shine our light with? And we just, we do not know how far reaching the impact can be. We do not know, but Jesus said it. You, you're the light of the world. So we would say, May we glow. May we shine brightly. And may our lives speak of His goodness. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you give us the privilege of being a part of your amazing work, not just in our own lives, but that you extend through us and you your light. It cannot be hidden. And so I pray that you give us courage to own it. You give us courage to to prepare for the day we are asked to speak of you. And I pray that no matter what else we do, what else we accomplish, how else we live, I pray that you would use our lives to illuminate just how good you are. May you glow through us. We ask for this in Jesus' name.